Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. I do hope the women on retreat have had an exceptional weekend because it would have to be for them to have missed worship today. It has been a good time of worship already. We've uh, come to the end of our ball of twine. I'm at the end of the story in 1 Samuel. I'm reading uh, beginning in verse 3 of chapter 28. Now Samuel had died. And all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. Saul had expelled the mediums and the wizards from the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, not by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. His servant said to him, There is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself, put on other clothes, and went there, he and two men with them. They came to the woman one night. And he said, Consult a spirit for me, and bring up for me the one whom I name you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he's cut off the mediums and the wizards from the land. Why then are you laying a snare for my life to bring about death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come on you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He answered, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Have no fear. What do you see? The woman said to Saul, I see a divine being coming up out of the ground. He said to her, what is his appearance? She said, an old man is coming up. He is wrapped in a robe. So Saul knew it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and did obeisance. Well, today is our final installment on our journey through the book of 1 Samuel, and I have really enjoyed two months of storytelling out of this great book, the themes and the, pre- and the stories of this book that we got to see through the life and the lens of Samuel, walking through that part of Israel's history where they moved from a loose configuration of tribes to a, to a country with a king first, of course, King Saul. And then more recently, we've been looking at the stories that are building up the exceptional attributes of Israel's next king, David. 
Now, I hope this has not been just an exercise in Israelite history. You could have stayed home and read, read up on the history of Israel. The hope is that we're all finding some mirror in these stories. And that in the context of worship, we see ourselves in the stories in a way that confronts our humanity, our potential, our regret, in ways that move us more closely to being the Christ follower we have been called to be. Since last week's story, which was way back a little ways, but, but in chapter 25, still three chapters back from this story, we learn about the death of Samuel. But we're told again at the beginning of this reading about the death of Samuel. Three chapters later, the writer wants you to be clear, Samuel is dead. Are you all clear about that? If it comes up, Samuel is dead. But isn't it strange that Samuel has been dead for three chapters and he's still the central character in the story? There are other constants in the story too, even though we're late into this book. The Philistines are threatening war again. They have misbehaved all throughout the book of 1 Samuel. And in today's story, their boats are approaching from across the sea, which is always a threatening sight. Big boats traveling across a great violent sea of chaos. It's intimidating. Lots of boats, lots of warriors. They're not all the size of Goliath, but it's a, it's a big group of boys. But what's worse, the Philistines have figured out the secret of iron. They now fight with iron swords, which gives them a huge advantage. And there's not one blacksmith to be found in all of Israel. You remember the the line from The Untouchables, the movie with Sean Connery, who's playing Malone, and the intruder goes into his home. And the intruder's sneaking up on him with a knife. And Sean Connery turns around real fast with a shotgun. And he announces the really bad news for the intruder that he has brought a knife to a gunfight. Well, that's what this Philistine-Israelite battle would look like now that the Philistines have this superior weapon. Saul's afraid. And perhaps Saul should be afraid. But you remember from last week's story, Saul's also losing it a little bit. He's becoming a little bit unhinged. And instead of devising a plan, a war strategy of his own, Saul gets panicky and he starts seeking instruction and help and a sign and a grasp. He doesn't call the generals together. He's hoping for a rescue. He does appeal to God In hopes that God will tell Samuel in a dream what to do, but Samuel becomes impatient with the silence. God isn't responding fast enough. God is silent. He's fidgeting. God is silent. Saul is exhausted. God is silent. Saul is pacing. God is still silent. Saul is fed up. And at this point, fear and desperation have taken hold. And that will sometimes lead us to places we would not otherwise go. So next, he tries Urim, 
sacred lots. In other words, he throws the dice to get an answer. How about that for war strategy? Seven or eleven, we attack from the south. Well, this is a frantic man with no resources. He's in this unholy panic. He's got this big responsibility as a king. So many subjects who are dependent on his leadership. And the Philistines have iron weapons. Insecurity. Doubt. Saul's in over his head and he's desperate. So Saul starts asking around about mediums in the area. Some of your translations might call them witches and wizards. But this isn't the kind of witch or wizard that we normally think of in our thinking. I mean, this isn't uh, Merlin or Elizabeth Montgomery, references for old people. These, <laughs> this is a medium more of a fortune teller, a kind of Ouija board user, someone who summons up the dead. There, there was this belief that there, was a, there were places where there were holes in the ground where the spirits could come up from the spirit world into the physical world. And the men and women who guarded these passages, you see, were mediums, a a spirit woman. But still these mediums traffic in the kind of crystals and tea leaves and fortune telling that's forbidden and inconsistent with the worship of Yahweh. So King Saul has outlawed the work of this kind of death whisperer. But things are different now. He's desperate. Saul is so desperate that he turns his back on the religion of Samuel. He defies the prohibitions in Deuteronomy. He violates his own royal order. He is a shamed and divided man. And he's desperate. And his servants tell him about a medium who lives in Endor. So Paul gets clothes from goodwill and he dyes his hair and he puts on glasses and grows a goatee. He does anything he can do to disguise himself as the king of Israel and goes to see the spirit woman. And at first the woman refuses his request to call up a spirit for him. Haven't you heard, sir? The king has outlawed this kind of thing. Am I being set up here? Is this, is this some sort of sting operation? I assure you I'm out of that business for good. But the man with the floppy hat reassures her. Nothing will happen to you, I promise. And she sees the genuine desperation in his eyes and says, Okay, who do you want me to bring up? He says, bring up Samuel. And when Samuel comes up and comes eye to eye to Saul, she recognizes what's happened. She knows who the guest really is. She says, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. But the king reassures her again that there's no trouble. And he bows reverently and deeply to the spirit of Samuel. That's a peculiar story, right? I mean, any way you cut it. I've asked several friends this week, you ever preached the medium at indoor story? No, no, no. I mean, it is, it's peculiar. I mean, like, like, can you imagine a U.S. president 
getting out of a limo a block away, sneaking around in jeans and a hoodie, going up to one of those little roadside, those little rural roadside houses that has a sign out front that says, fresh hen eggs, fortune telling, and taxidermy, right? (laughs) And he sneaks in, the woman's got on the turban, right? I need your help. I don't know what to do about Iraq's increased nuclear capacity. Can you pull up Lincoln for me? I mean, it's just odd. But desperate people will go to any lengths. I read this week about a hospital in Tel Aviv that's doing experimental treatments for ALS. This drug isn't approved anywhere else in the world. So the Israeli hospital is charging foreigners $300,000 for treatment so that they can provide this treatment free for Israelis. But if you'd been diagnosed with ALS and if you had 300K, I understand. Let's not be too hard on pe- people who are desperate. I'm, I'm sympathetic. I remember visiting my mother in the last stages of her cancer battle. And she had this glass of nasty-looking stuff on the bedside. I said, what is that nasty stuff you're drinking? I don't remember exactly what it was my dad was pouring out of the blender into her glass. It might have been like a combination of prune juice and peanut butter and cucumber and grape knee-high or something. I don't remember. Anyway, it looked nasty. But somebody somewhere had a cousin who read about it, and their cousin was cancer-free now. When you're desperate, I understand. But it's when the doubt and fear and insecurity leads to a violation of your values. When we betray our best self as an escape, when we stop waiting patiently on God and pursue some quick release, and Saul's behavior is all too familiar. We don't usually get these kind of details in the biblical story, so it's usually on purpose. The Bible says that after Paul put on his disguise, he and the two men went to the medium at Endor at night. At night. It conjures up seedy images inappropriate to a king. It's not a good combination. Fear insecurity, doubt, and nighttime. Late at night in the 2 a.m. silence, the fears come at you like a swarm of angry birds. And Late at night, I've known some men to fill up their jean pockets with $1 bills, go for a drive looking for neon lights. Late at night, I've known some who grabbed a Harlequin romance and a gallon of Haagen-Dazs just to try to make the noise inside their heads stop. Late at night, I've known some people to reach in the back of the cabinet, break a seal on something to make them forget they're afraid. When the sun goes down and the house gets quiet, 
and the loneliness and fear pay a visit. I know some people who've watched three hours of entertainment tonight with two large bags of Cool Ranch Doritos just to avoid the fear and insecurity. I know some who've crept downstairs when everybody else was asleep, turned on the web browser with a gut full of butterflies and betrayal. Fear, insecurity, doubt, and nighttime are just not a good combination. You betray who you know yourself to be. You betray the God who created you. You put on a disguise and sneak around at night looking for some relief from the fear. Saul turned his back on God and let his fear take him to places that were inconsistent with his faith. Samuel is not at all happy that Saul has disturbed his rest. Samuel lets Saul know that God's not happy with Saul being the king. God's not happy with Saul's leadership. Saul is going to lose the battle with the Philistines. So Saul asks Samuel, what am I to do? And Samuel says, this is too late. This time tomorrow you and your sons will be with me crossed over to the other side. And it it came true. In the final chapter of 1 Samuel, Saul's three sons die in battle. Saul falls on his own sword and takes his life. We know already several times we know that Samuel is dead, right? We got that early. Samuel's dead. Now Saul and all of his heirs are dead. And it sets up the beginning of 2 Samuel and the reign of King David. Last week, Saul's insecurity made him fiercely jealous of the young David. This week, his fear and doubt and insecurity has him betraying his better angels, lurking in the night, seeking answers in the most unfaithful places. I won't ask for a show of hands, but this message should challenge any of us who's been afraid and looked for fast answers in unfaithful places. What if, what if Saul had stayed with the prayer? What if Saul had persevered in the silence and remained steadfast to his faith and his best self. Figuratively, at least, all nighttime betrayals lead to death. What if, what if you kept praying through the night and wait for deliverance from the God who loves you and has called you to be whole? If you don't have a relationship with this God, you may have no place to turn. And the fear will win. So if you don't have that relationship, I invite you to come talk with me after church about what a relationship with the living Christ looks like. 
calling you always to a more loving and more generous version of yourself. Some of you who are already Christian may just need a company and a curriculum of the church. Other people around to love you, to challenge you, to be with you, to help sharpen faithful choices. On behalf of this congregation, if it's time for you to join, we would welcome that today too. But for everybody in here. When we stand and sing, I invite everybody to reflect, repent, consider, challenge yourself on the ways that you might have been seduced by nighttime choices that lead to death. And make this the day that you commit to waiting on God next time, however long it takes, rather than sneaking around in a disguise looking for some unfaithful way to deal with the fear. Would you offer that prayer as we stand and sing together? Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.